Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the mornings, right across Australia. On the iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio apps. The biggest issues. The biggest guess. Marcus Paul in the morning starts now. Well, good morning and welcome to Friday. We're here already. It's the 27th day of May. Great to have your company around Australia live on starterfm.com.au, the iHeartRadio platform. Tune in and, of course, on the Prawncast, the old podcast. If you're listening to us on that Prawncast, please do us a solid and give it a share on your social media. It's great to have your company. Plenty to talk about this morning. We'll find out what the uh, new Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, has been up to in his (laughs) pyjamas. You saw it yesterday. And thank you for your comments, too, on the Facebook page in relation to that. What? Can't a bloke, even if he has been elected Prime Minister, can't he go out in his gym jams to collect his paper in peace? It would appear not. With photographs. Uh, It's like the paparazzi. They're stalking him at the moment. I don't mind, though, and I don't think Albo and his crew will mind either. It actually made him, in my opinion, look even more normal than we know that he he is. All right, so from Albo to Voldemort... I'm sorry, Peter Dutton. Um, (laughs) Look, it's probably not appropriate for a a member of Parliament, Tanya Plibersek, to refer to the incoming Liberal leader, Peter Dutton, as Voldemort. She should leave that to you and me. <laughs> Those on Twitter and social media, it's not appropriate, apparently. We can't make fun of a bloke who made fun of islands disappearing under water due to climate change, apparently. Anyway, um, I think Peter Dutton is uh, getting closer to being confirmed as the federal Liberal leader. Who will his deputy be? Not quite sure. Uh, maybe. No, I don't know. I mean, Alan Tudge confirmed that um, there really will be nobody else standing in his way. And I think Peter Dutton was on the radio yesterday. Uh, Yeah, he was, talking to Ray Hadley, confirming that, look, you know, of course he'll put his hand up. And, uh, look, they're they're trying to soften him. They are absolutely trying to soften uh, Peter Dutton up. He's appeared in the newspapers in a, a lovely family portrait with his wife and his children. Um, appearing uh, to show his softer side. And I'm hearing that, um, you know, the Peter Dutton as a politician that you see and you get um, is not like the real Peter Dutton at all. Apparently he's softer. Look, I don't know. Uh, I just don't like his policies, as you know, and um, the fact that he called Albo a socialist and all the rest of it really annoyed me. So anyway, um, Peter Dutton... And no doubt Sir Barnaby Joyce, because I can't see him giving up the leadership of uh, the Nationals. So it'll be a Dutton-Joyce opposition. And I don't know, they're going to have to do a lot to turn around the ship. Uh, meantime, Catherine Deves. She was a, hope, a high-profile and somewhat controversial candidate in the Sydney seat of Warringah, the old Tony Abbott seat. She had no chance. She was smashed by Zali Stegel, but she said yesterday that, uh, well, she went through some of the ins and outs of all of the problems she encountered with being a captain's pick. She was not only endorsed by former Prime Minister Scott Morrison, but also by the New South Wales Premier, um, Dominic Perrottet. 
Anyway, she's had a, a pretty torrid time of it, and she talked about it yesterday. I'll go through that story. Speaking of Dominic Perrottet, he's tried again. Uh, he'll, he'll always defend it, but I'm sorry, they're indefensible now. More problems with these stupid bloody Emerald-class ferries in Sydney. I think we just need to turf them back from where they came. I mean, for goodness sake, there's more issues with them. Um, and I'll go through that story as well. The statements from the heart, the Uluru statement from the heart, what's it all about and why did the incoming Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, saying that his government will commit to it in full? Well, I've got a good explainer on the way after I received a note from Matt asking me to do so. So all that's coming up, a, f- a few other crime stories and some other news as well. If you would like to have you say at any time, 0406521250. And as always, you can leave your messages and your comments on the Facebook page. We do appreciate it. Please, if you have a, a few spare dollars, we are running a, a bit of a fundraising campaign through GoFundMe at the moment to keep us going. If you can, at any time, please support us. Just a couple of bucks and we greatly appreciate it. Great music on the way for you this morning. We'll keep you up to date on the latest news from Air News. Let's get into it. This Friday morning, the 27th day of May, and this is Marcus Paul in the morning right across Australia. Okay, let's get into it on this Friday morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Great to have your company. Uh, it Maybe you're listening to us in your PJs. Perhaps your striped blue Peter Alexander pyjamas with rabbit illustrations. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all seen the, uh, the photographs that were taken yesterday by a stalking News Corp photographer. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese emerging from his Marrickville pad yesterday morning to scoop up a newspaper from his front porch. The new Prime Minister donning a playful pair of striped blue Peter Alexander PJs with rabbits. (laughs) From the luxury sleepwear brand's 2018 Easter campaign, we're told... Why? Well, to pick up a copy of The Australian delivered to his doorstep yesterday morning. Albo completed his early morning ensemble with a blue Newtown Jets jersey with a collar popped up and a pair of cosy Ugg boots. How normal. How very normal and very Australian. After retreating into the house... He reappeared sometime later wearing a tidier look with dark grey plaid suit featuring a bright white blouse and a blue striped tie. Yeah, while he was off to do some television interviews. In his first television interview since being sworn in as Prime Minister yesterday morning, Albo declined to comment on Tanya Plibersek's demeaning remarks about Peter Dutton. He was on the Sunrise program and Albo declined to comment about the MP's swipe at the former Defence Minister where she compared Peter Dutton's face to Harry Potter villain Lord Voldemort. We've been doing that for ages. Anyway, somebody finally said it publicly. Look, it probably wasn't the right thing to say. Uh, and, and look, in all fairness... Um, Tanya probably should just leave it to others, Uh, you know, on Twitter and Facebook and social media and all the rest of it. It's probably not a good idea for a member of parliament to be doing it. 
Anyway, the senior federal Labor MP took a swipe at the prospective federal Liberal leader by comparing his face to Harry Potter villain Voldemort on Brisbane Radio um, on Wednesday. Now, she has rightfully apologised for the comments and Mr Albanese said it was time to move on to implement dead serious political change. So he's kind of battered it away and doesn't want to give it any more oxygen, considering, of course, that Tanya Plibersek has apologised. He said on Sunrise, I am dead serious about it, I'm dead serious, but now, you know, people, when they make a mistake, they should apologise and we move on. That's one of the ways that we can change the way that politics operates, and Tanya has done the appropriate thing here. Uh, he also appeared on the Today program, and the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, opened up about his emotions since election victory on Saturday, sharing some thoughts about his late mother. Uh, he said, Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of Mum's death. I travelled out to the cemetery to see her and to have a chat. It was a big deal. It was a private moment. I went by myself. I hope that it gives people out there, whether they be single mums or people going through difficulties in life and their children, I hope that my journey does his people, uh, you know, does lift people a little. Meanwhile, outgoing Prime Minister Scott Morrison jumped on Radio 2GB yesterday morning for his first time since the election loss. While the former PM said he was, quote, disappointed by the result, he was looking forward to being a dad again and doing the school run. I've never been one to be pessimistic in defeat, he said. I look forward to giving that new leadership every support and going back to being a quiet Australian in the Shire. It's been a while since I've been able to spend as much time as I would like with my family. Now, Mr Morrison said he had no plans on leaving his role as an MP anytime soon and joked about picking up some extra cash by driving an Uber. So there we go. That's a little of what happened yesterday. This is Marcus Paul in the morning on this Friday. If you'd like to have your comment, there's a, a post of that story up on our Facebook page, or you can give us a call anytime, 0406 521250. That's the hotline here at Marcus Paul in the morning. It's Friday. Welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet has given his tick of approval for Peter Dutton as the new federal opposition leader, saying the heir apparent for the new leadership role is a, quote, straight shooter. Yeah, talking to journos yesterday, Mr Perrottet said he'd met the likely new party leader several times and also outlined one of the main qualities he think he thinks will put the former defence minister in good stead. He's a straight shooter. You always want that quality in opposition. But I think he'll do a good job for the Liberal Party, if that's who they elect, said the New South Wales Premier. Well, Alan Tudge has all but confirmed, of course, that Peter Dutton will be the leader of the Liberal Party. Uh, I can't see anybody else. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned before, there's been a little bit of a revamp, if you like, of Peter Dutton's image. He's been pictured with uh, his family and uh, a bit of a, you know, a soft newspaper article. 
um, no doubt will appear in Women's Weekly very soon as well. He'll need to soften uh, because he's come under immense criticism, in particular from, of course, not only Tanya Plibersek, as I mentioned, but WA Premier Mark McGowan. Now, he's always known for speaking his mind. He well and truly stuck the boot into uh, Peter Dutton, calling him an extremist who is, quote, not that smart, while pleading with the incoming Albanese government to reset relations with China. Now, Mr McGowan earlier this week said that he's an extremist. I don't think he fits in with modern Australia at all. He doesn't seem to listen. He's extremely conservative. I actually don't think he's that smart. Wow, fighting words from the WA Premier. I've seen him present on things. I don't really pick up there's much there as opposed to Scott Morrison. Now, Mr McGowan made headlines around the world for locking up WA during the COVID pandemic and creating what many called a hermit kingdom. He added that the new government was now a chance to have a good relationship with China once again. Mr McGowan said this week, we as a state export half the nation's exports and the vast majority of that goes to China, who was routinely critical of Scott Morrison as well and his attempts to, to defend Australian sovereignty from an increasingly aggressive Beijing. Uh, so Mr McGowan has long been an advocate for improved relations with China and was once praised by Chinese Communist Party mouthpiece The Global Times for being a sensible voice on the Canberra-Beijing relationship. I just urge a reset on this relationship, he said. Peter Dutton was the principal one out there talking about war and a war footing and conflict and so forth, and that is absolutely crazy. Yeah, well, I think that's where the, uh, the tag extremist comes in from WA's Premier Mark McGowan. Anyway, look, there's little doubt that Peter Dutton will be the next Liberal leader. Alan Tudge confirmed as much uh, earlier this week. Uh, it would have been former Treasurer Josh Frydenberg, but he was punted from his seat by the Teal Independent Monique Ryan. I mean, as I mentioned just the other day, uh, what the other likely candidates... Well, you can't have two people from Queensland leading the Liberals, so that kind of rules out Karen Andrews. Other insiders have mentioned outgoing Energy Minister Angus Taylor. I suspect either he or Dan Tian would be the, uh, the deputy leader of the Liberals. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Until they have a field of candidates, who knows who the leader will be, but... I guess we can only assume Peter Dutton is in the ranks, so I guess we'll see what happens. Who is Peter Dutton? Well, he's a former Queensland policeman. He's been tough on China and strong on immigration, and he reflects so-called Liberal Party values that have been, might I add, rejected by voters who swung to teal independence in a swathe of previously blue-ribbon seats. Anyway, so I, you know, I, Senator Holly Hughes, who's a Liberal, she spoke in the media just the other day. Uh, she backed Peter Dutton. She called him a terrific defence minister and an absolute star performer. But she did concede the Liberal Party needed to reflect on the results from the weekend. And she said it's clearly time to embrace our values and reaffirm them and not try and reinvent them. 
Yeah, well, that's a sentiment echoed by Senator Simon Birmingham. He told the ABC the Liberal Party needs to always stand for Liberal values and we need to make sure we win back voters who should hold those Liberal values. He added, of course, he hoped the alliance with the Nationals could continue despite the pain the Liberal Party suffered over its allies' handling of its climate policies. Yeah, well, many of you on the Facebook page uh, tend to think that, um, well, Peter Dutton who is expected to be elected unopposed as Liberal leader. Uh, Most of you think that's a good move for the incoming Albanese government. Not many of you like Peter Dutton. Uh, Darcy writes, Marcus Dutton barely held on to his own seat. Most of the country doesn't like him. After a big swing against them on issues like climate change, they, what they now want to double down on the right-wing stuff imported from America, I doubt their chances in 2025. Ash Archer writes, Marcus, they've learned nothing whatsoever. The Liberals and the right wing belong in the past. And others believe that it will, you know, with not only Peter Dutton leading, but of course Barnaby Joyce, who will cling on to the Nationals' leadership. Well, Barnaby Joyce and Peter Dutton together, a lot of you think that's nightmare material. If you want to have your say, you can do so on the Facebook page. Marcus Paul in the morning. Alrighty, welcome back. Friday morning, it is the 27th day of May. And this is Marcus Paul. Well, one of the most high-profile Liberal federal election candidates and possibly one of the most controversial, Catherine Deves, has confirmed that she will continue in politics. She also yesterday confirmed she will remain a member of the Liberal Party despite being publicly attacked by senior moderate Liberal figures and a disunified local party that wanted her dumped from the electoral race. She's said fighting for the people of Warringah's seat at the table remains her mission into the future. Now, Miss Steves, who was convincingly beaten by sitting independent MPs Ali Stegall in Saturday's poll, this is, of course, Tony Abbott's old seat, told the Manly Daily that she lost the first two weeks of her week campaign to relentless attacks from the media due to the language I used, not the arguments I was prosecuting. Well, maybe that's the case, Miss Steves, but the language you used, I'm sorry, was divisive. And, you know, <laughs> you made your own bed there. Anyway... Soon after she was chosen as a so-called captain's pick to run as the Liberal in Moringa, Miss Deves, who was a co-founder of the Save Women Sport Lobby Group, came under sustained media and public focus after historic social media posts resurfaced about her views on transgender issues. Now, she has apologised, credit where it's due, she did apologise for some of the language she used on those posts. But Miss Deves said this week she was buoyed by the fact the swing against the Liberals in Warringah, around 5%, was less than those in neighbouring seats, McKellar and North Sydney. She said, The fact that I only suffered such a small swing against me, which was a far better result than surrounding electorates, is extraordinary and suggests I shall continue. Now, Miss Steves uh, revealed her campaign suffered due to attacks from members of my own party and a disunified local electoral conference. 
the decision by Prime Minister Scott Morrison and New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet to endorse Miss Deves Warringah without a vote by the party rank and file in the electorate angered local party members, as I discussed uh, quite a, uh, a while ago. Some even refused to volunteer as campaign workers, and others called for her to be disendorsed. Now, in a statement released this week, Miss Deves wrote, I was pre-selected six weeks out without a campaign team. I lost two weeks to resent a relentless attacks from the media due to language I used, not the arguments I was prosecuting. Now, Miss Steve said she gave the campaign everything she had. She said, I was running a campaign on my iPhone with a small, trusted group of volunteers who were trying to coordinate the basics while working full-time jobs. I was up against an incumbent on a parliamentary salary with a full complement of staff, a significant donation base and an army of volunteers. Now, a campaign insider told the press that Miss Deves worked tirelessly for the Liberal Party, despite being under enormous stress resulting from the internal party criticism, especially from senior moderates such as New South Wales Treasurer Mac Keane and intense media scrutiny and death threats against her. The tensions within the campaign were very high. The campaign insider said this week that Miss Deves felt besieged and surrounded. She felt that some sections of the party didn't have her back. Yeah, well, there was a lot of infighting going on um, and there was no doubt that there was a lot of frustration from the party faithful who didn't agree with her as Scott Morrison and Dominic Perrottet's so-called captain's pick. Yeah. Anyway, um, insiders say that former Prime Minister Scott Morrison spoke to Catherine Deves several times during the campaign to reassure her. Uh, that helped her, I guess, get out of a, a bad place where she was. She was in that besieged citadel at one point, said an insider. She didn't know who to trust. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Anyway... On Saturday night, in her concession speech to Liberal Party faithful at Balgala Bowling Club, Miss Deve says, you haven't seen the last of me, and she's confirmed that. She said when she was asked on the Outsiders program on Sky, I would like to say to my detractors that when they thought I could not withstand them uh, and the storm, I am the storm, I'm not going anywhere. So there we go. Uh, answers that question. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, Friday morning, let's move away from politics for now. And the Weather Bureau have released their winter outlook. And it's not great news for those hoping for a break from the wet weather. La Nina is stubbornly hanging around and it looks like a so-called negative Indian Ocean dipole is also on the way. What does that mean? A wetter than average winter expected for much of the country. We get into winter in just a few days. According to the Bureau, June to August rainfall is very likely to be above average for much of the country. Eastern and central regions are likely to be particularly soggy with a greater than 80% chance of exceeding average rainfall. That's two to three times more likely than usual, but it's not expected to be wet everywhere. There's a less than 40% chance of much of the Southwest Land Division in Western Australia and Western Tasmania exceeding their average rainfall. 
Minimum temperatures are likely to be above average for most of the country, but unusually, it is looking like maximum temperatures could be below average for central Australia from coast to coast. Well, why is it so wet? Well, Weather Bureau long-term forecasting head Andrew Watkins said a number of factors are influencing the outlook. He says the incoming wet weather is primarily driven by an emerging negative Indian Ocean dipole. That happens when there are warm waters to the northwest of Australia and that aids evaporation and means there is plenty of moisture. The moisture could then be trapped into the northwest cloud bands and dragged across from the northwest to the south and east. And of course, that leads to rainfall. A lingering La Nina climate pattern is also adding to this mix. So it's going to be even wetter. Anyway, uh, La Nina, according to weather forecasters, is expected to fade away over winter. There is some chance that it could come back later, but the Bureau says they're expecting it to dip below the thresholds that we normally have for declaring La Nina during the winter. Well, we know that Eastern Australia has already been swamped. Agriculture uh, industry is still suffering from all of this rain and they, those in central New South Wales in particular say it's getting to the point where more rain is not welcome. It's hard to believe in a region in the grip of drought just a few years ago. It's crazy. You know, you think back to 2017, 2018, we were in record droughts, feeding livestock, and we were seeing farmers questioning whether they should even bother to sow any crops. You know, some have had their annual rainfall already for this year, which is basically how wet it's been. Anyway, um, at this point, the prospect of more rain may not be great news uh, for farmers, but they remain a pragmatic lock, a lot as, uh, as always. Alrighty, um, that's the latest on the weather. So we will see uh, over the winter period, unfortunately, more rain. Marcus Paul in the morning. Welcome back. It's Friday morning, the 27th day of May. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, the fallout continues after yet another mass shooting in the United States of America. I read yesterday that frustrated onlookers had urged police to charge into the Texas elementary school where a gunman's rampage killed 19 kids and two teachers. Witnesses say that, well, unfortunately, they stood back. Investigators continued to work to track the massacre that lasted upwards of 40 minutes and ended when the 18-year-old shooter was killed by a Border Patrol team. Nearby women apparently shouted at police officers to go in there, go in there, but the officers did not. Javier Cazes, whose fourth grade daughter, Jacqueline, who only, was only nine, was killed in the attack, said he raced to the school when he heard about the shooting, arriving while police were still gathered outside the building. He was upset the police were not moving in. He raised the idea of charging into the school with several other bystanders. 
Let's just rush in because the cops aren't doing anything like they're supposed to, he said. He believes the police were unprepared and more could have been done. Now, minutes earlier, Mr Carranza had watched as the gunman crashed his truck into a ditch outside the school, grabbed his AR-15-style semi-automatic rifle and shot at two people outside a nearby funeral home who fortunately got away uninjured. Now, officials say he encountered a school district security officer outside the school, though there were conflicting reports from authorities on whether the men exchanged gunfire. After running inside, he fired on and injured two arriving police officers who were outside the building. After entering the school, the gunman charged into one classroom and began his killing rampage. Now, police say he barricaded himself by locking the door and just started shooting children and teachers that were inside that classroom. All those killed were in the same classroom. Department of Public Safety Director Steve McCraw told reporters that 40 minutes to an hour elapsed from when the gunman opened fire on the school security officer to when the tactical team shot him. However, a department spokesman later said they could not give a solid estimate of how long the gunman was in the school or when he was killed. The bottom line is law enforcement was there. They did engage immediately and they did contain him in the classroom. Uh, Police having to defend themselves here. All right, meanwhile, a law enforcement official familiar with the investigation said the Border Patrol agents had trouble breaching the classroom door and had to get a staff member to open the room with a key. The official spoke on the condition of remaining anonymous because he was not authorised to speak publicly about the ongoing investigation. Anyway, it's just an awful, awful story, isn't it? Now... This Latino town of Ulvaid, around 16,000 people, around 120 kilometres or so from the Mexican border. I mean, they'll remain in shock for quite some time. The school called Rob Elementary, which has nearly 600 students in second, third and fourth grades, is a single-storey brick structure in a mostly residential neighbourhood of modest homes. Before attacking the school, we know the gunman shot and injured his grandmother at the home that they shared, according to authorities. A neighbour by the name of Gilbert, who lives across the street and has known the family for decades, said he was in his yard when he heard the shots. He said the gunman ran out the front door and across the small yard to a truck parked in front of the house. He seemed panicked. He then raced away. He spun out, spraying gravel all over the air. His grandmother emerged covered in blood. Oh. Anyway, 911, 9-11 was called straight after that and, and we know the rest. Dear, oh dear. A lot has been said in relation to um, the shooting, the 212th mass shooting in America this year alone. The world has reacted. Former U.S. President Barack Obama says America is paralyzed by Republicans over gun laws. The senator that I told you about from Connecticut raged in an impassioned speech hours after the shooting. They're going to have to do something. 
They really are. You know, it's almost like we're not surprised anymore when this sort of event happens in the US. A mass school shooting. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, let's move to the courts now. And yesterday, a Sydney woman who left her daughter with horrific injuries after drunkenly running her over and dragging her underneath a car will serve a 20-month suspended sentence in the community. Her name is Dale Palmer. She's 59. And she had a blood alcohol level more than three times the legal limit when she got behind the wheel last May after an argument with family over her drinking during a party in Carring Bar in southern Sydney. Now, her 27-year-old daughter, Keely became stuck under a front axle as Palmer drove for around 150 metres while her husband yelled at her to stop and her daughter screamed in pain. Her blood alcohol reading, three times the legal limit, was 0.166. Now, this offence has a maximum penalty of two years in jail in the lower jurisdiction courts. Keely Palmer was left with serious injuries, including fractures and skin, muscle and bone loss. Her mother told police she jumped in the car and drove off to sit and gather her thoughts, quote unquote. Anyway, she pleaded guilty to aggravated dangerous driving, occasioning grievous bodily harm, and as I mentioned, was yesterday sentenced to 20 months imprisonment to be served by way of an intensive corrections order with a two-year driving suspension. Well, at least you won't be on our roads. There's no doubt of the events of the 1st of May 2021 will affect all involved for a very long time said the magistrates Brett Thomas in Downing Centre Local Court. Dealing with what occurred on that day will take time. Court documents reveal neighbours heard the victim screaming, help, stop, and dad help stop the car. Her father was heard saying, put the effing handbrake on, stop the car. Once police arrived, the victim, Keeley, said, Why'd you do this to me several times, along with get this woman away from me? Now, one witness gave a graphic description of the scene, saying there was blood everywhere. At hospital, Palmer told police the girls did not like her drinking and said they get narky at me. She claimed to have heard a yell, but she didn't know her daughter was on the road when she drove off. Now, the magistrate said Palmer's consumption of alcohol had overwhelmed any ability she would have had to realise in any way what she was doing. He said Palmer had held a licence for decades, which had nearly been unblemished. He also noted sentencing reports showed an acceptance of responsibility and remorse. He said, I am of the view that the defendant's prospects of rehabilitation are very good and she is very highly likely not to reoffend. The court heard Palmer shared her experience in a traffic offenders course, which created a profound impact on other participants, while references indicated her behaviour was totally out of character. The level of public scrutiny and media reporting of the incident was also taken into account. Uh, Magistrate Thomas said, It was no doubt extensive and possibly intrusive, but having regard to the nature of the incident and the circumstances, perhaps not surprising. 
As I mentioned, she's lucky, this woman. She could have faced a maximum of 11 years in jail if she was dealt in the district court. But in the lower jurisdiction, in the lo- in the, uh, the local court, the maximum jail sentence was two years. Uh, yesterday, Palmer left court surrounded by a group of supporters and made no comment to the press. Okay, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. 04065-21250 is our hotline number. You can call at any time and leave your thoughts. And, of course, you can always comment on the Facebook page. Well, no surprise. A review has been launched into the plagued Emerald Class ferries after a horror fortnight of defects in which one boat suffered steering failure and another sprayed fuel and hot oil into the engine bay after springing a leak. These things are bloody brand new. The failures are the latest in a string of issues impacting the fleet of boats brought to replace the freshwater class Manly Ferry. Fed up with repeated problems, Transport for New South Wales is now reviewing issues with the fleet and exploring building the next suite of vessels here in Australia. Well, we've been telling them they should have done that for ages. But anyway, we are frustrated by the fact these ferries are going out of service on too regular a basis. Transport for New South Wales Chief Operations Officer Howard Collins said... We're reviewing their performance and defects. Now, the Balmoral Emerald-class vessel suffered a major steering failure on Wednesday morning, while the Fairlight has been docked twice in the past two weeks after cracks were discovered in her fuel tank. The Clontarf was docked three times last week after developing a crack in its lubricating oil system, causing hot oil to spray around the engine room, which triggered fire alarms. It returned to service a day later after being repaired, but a similar issue occurred with the master terminating the trip and taking the vessel back to Balmain shipyard. After being repaired again, the Clontarf was back in service last Friday, only to be pulled offline again when another crack was found in the fuel tanks of the vessel. I mean, this is a joke, isn't it? The Fairlight was docked once early last week after its fuel tank cracked, with a quick fix failing and forcing the, the vessel off the seas on Thursday. While the Generation 2 ferries were fitted out in Port Macquarie, the bodies, of course, were built in China. Now, Mr Collins said, we are looking for the next generation of fleet and we are very focused, along with Transport Minister David Elliott, with sourcing the next fleet from Australian shipbuilders. We do believe working with Australian builders will have a better product and the ability to monitor them during manufacturing. Well, Labor's transport spokeswoman, Jo Halen, I mean, she must be pulling her hair out. She said, another day brings yet another disaster on the government's overseas-built Emerald-class Manly ferries. We can now add crack pipes and fire hazards to the long litany of defects plaguing these vessels. Currently, they seem to be spending more time in dock than actually getting passengers from A to B. It comes after earlier this week, we revealed doors on the Emerald ferries had to be locked in high wing conditions due to them slamming shut dangerously hard, with an industry source saying a slamming door nearly took off a passenger's fingers. Now, 
It's the latest concern for the second generation Emerald Ferries, which have been plagued by problems in the seven months, only seven months, since they were brought into service. I mean, Premier Dominic Perrottet, I mean, he leapt to the defence of the trouble-struck vessels on Wednesday. Um, you know, you can defend them all you like, Dominic, but I'm sorry, I'm, I'm afraid that, you know, the defects and the issues and the problems with these ferries make them almost indefensible. I mean, Dominic tried to say these are world-class ferries that are much, much better and advanced than the ones they replaced. There will always be difficulties, but these aren't substantive, they are minor. <laughs> really? A spokeswoman for Transdev, operator of the ferries, remember, uh, you know, all this is privatised, they confirmed the Clontarf and Fairlight were docked for repairs last week. Uh, the vessels Clontarf and Fairlight were both recently taken out of service for repair by our maintenance teams due to technical issues. Uh, the spokeswoman said there were no safety concerns in relation to the Generation 2 Emerald vessels and they were compliant with national standards. She said teams monitor vessels for such issues daily and appropriate actions are taken. Well, the problem is you're having to take appropriate action almost on the daily and it's not good enough. New South Wales taxpayers, public transport users are not getting bang for buck. And I'm sorry, these Emerald class manly ferries need to go. Friday morning, welcome back. Look, I haven't spoken about this issue for quite some time, but you know it's a bugbear of mine because, again, it involves the privatisation of public assets and a jail is still a public asset. It's owned by the people of New South Wales, but we don't run it or our government doesn't run it. They flog it uh, out to the private sector. The Clarence Correctional Centre, there's been a bit of a shock. Whistleblowers are lifting the lid on a severe staff shortage at this privately run prison where an inmate died last month. There's apparently 82 positions vacant at the Clarence Correctional Facility that's on the north coast of New South Wales. Corrections Minister Jeff Lee revealed to State Parliament um, a total of 78 full-time positions were vacant at the Circo facility, while four part-time positions were also left at the moment unfilled. So the total vacancies covers all work streams across the centre, Mr Lee said in a statement to Shadow Corrections spokeswoman Tara Moriarty. The operator continues, according to the Minister, to recruit to the maximum inmate capacity of the centre, 1,700 inmates to ensure the state has flexible bed options in the far north of New South Wales. Now, a total of 539 people are currently employed at this correctional facility in the north. And back on April the 30th, I recall telling you that a 41-year-old man was found dead in his cell by staff. Now, Miss Moriarty said significant staff shortages at the Clarence Correctional Centre were, quote, putting prison staff and inmates at risk, unquote. 82 vacant positions means the jail cannot be operating as required, she said. No excuses. The New South Wales government must act to fill these vacant positions immediately to ensure community safety. 
The figures come, as it can be revealed, the facility was forced to lock prisoners down for several hours following the death of an inmate due to, quote, severe staff shortages. A Corrections Services New South Wales source said inmates inside the Clarence Correctional Centre were locked down for hours on end following the death in custody last month due to a lack of correctional officers on the ground to respond to the death. If you are locking in because you don't have enough staff to respond to a critical incident, it is clear staffing is a challenge and something that needs to be addressed, according to the source. A Serco spokeswoman well, she's told the media that the organisation, Corrective Services New South Wales and New South Wales Police were still investigating the death in custody. Um, now, this is the Grafton Jail, of course, as per normal protocol and in line with New South Wales Police Investigations procedures. Inmates in the area where the incident occurred were locked down until evening muster. That's according to the spokeswoman. All deaths in custody are subject to a coronial inquest. Now, Clarence Correctional Centre, or if you like, the Grafton Jail, it's only fairly new, apparently has appropriate staffing levels for the inmates accommodated at the centre, there are currently just over 1,000 inmates in the privately run facility. All right, if you want to have your say on that, 0406521250. I still don't like the idea of, you know, flogging off these assets, if you like, or allowing them to be operated by private operators. Why? Well, they'll run them for profit. Marcus Paul in the morning. <laughs> Well, I think that'll just about do us this morning. Thank you very much uh, for listening. Uh, Marcus Paul in the morning right across Australia here on Starter FM, the iHeartRadio platform. Of course, uh, tune in. And on the Prawncast, as I always say, can you please, if you don't mind, if you listen back on your favourite podcast platform to the Prawncast, please give it a share on your social media um, so that we can grow that audience. If you've got a few spare bucks, please uh, throw some uh, our way. Uh, we're having a bit of a fundraising campaign at the moment to keep this whole thing going. If you wouldn't mind, uh, the GoFundMe link is up on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning. Have a wonderful weekend. Look after each other. Please stay safe and we look forward to your company with all the news and your views again next week from 7 till 9am here on Starter FM. Marcus Paul, we'll catch you next week. Bye for now. All right, mate, this is Richard Hoodie.